0: The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.
1: Good morning, you're very welcome along. This is The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, our summer series on great Irish houses and gardens continues with a visit to Powers Court Estate in County Wicklow. With rising interest rates still on the card for the next while, Carl Dieter will be in talking all things mortgages. From interior designer to glove maker, Paula Rowan talks us through her journey of creativity and design. And Natasha Rocketivine on decorating your balcony. Uh, now, if you want to get in touch with us today, it's 53106 on text. Uh, the email is thehomeshow at And I am over on Instagram at SineadRyan100. Now, uh, I live uh, opposite uh, an apartment block. And I'm always interested in what people do with their balconies. Some are completely bare or with a few potted plants and others are full on extra rooms despite being really tiny. One resident... even hold up a gigantic egg chair uh, onto his which kind of takes it over Uh, and another one then completely lit it up for uh, Diwali the Indian Festival of Lights last year which looked absolutely fabulous put everybody to shame so I can't wait to see later on the show what Natasha Rockerdevine is going to suggest for balcony decor Uh, so do stay with us her ideas are always on the looks side so I'm expecting something fabulous but if you have a balcony however small let me know what you put on it and what you'd like to put on it 53106 uh, or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You're very welcome along this morning. <music> We're continuing our summer series on Great Irish Homes and Gardens. I know people have been enjoying them because it's a kind of peek behind the doors of the rich and famous or the fabulous and all the castles and manor houses and all of that, that we boast in this country. God knows we've enough of them. So this week, I am delighted to welcome to the show Alex Slasinger, head gardener, Paris Court Estate. Now, Alex, for those that haven't been to the magnificent place that is Paris Court, tell us a little bit about its history.
2: Yes, brilliant. Well, look, it's a rich history, absolutely rich history. It goes right back to the Vikings, so we're going quite far back. Uh, The area around Powse was called Fercullum, so that was the old Irish name, and it was always a good military spot. So we're close enough to Dublin, yet we're far enough away, we're in the wilds of Wicklow. Uh, So really, it kind of all starts off in 1301, when a Norman family called the Delapores. Uh, where we get our name, Powscourt. Correct pronunciation is Powscourt. Ah, right. uh, so okay. the well, Delapores are right. I stand arri- corrected. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds better with Powerscourt yeah. now. It's been yeah. it's been sort of Irishised. Uh, so Eustace Delapore arrives at Powscourt and sets up a military stronghold in 1301, and they also had land in Waterford, Derry, and in Dublin. Here, um, <clears throat> so it starts off there. There's constant struggle between the O'Burns and the O'Toole's. So they're the two clans, and I'll go into later a couple of little stories about the O'Toole's. But they hold the lands there till 1601 when the Wingfield family, and uh, the Wingfield family, he was a military man. He was in King James's army and then Queen Elizabeth's army. And uh, he came up in front of her court and she said, Sir Richard, how can I ever repay such a loyal subject? And he said, Madam, the scarf around your neck is payment enough. So he was a bit of a charmer and uh, he got the scarf, but he also got the title, the Marshal of Ireland and was granted 46,000 acres in Wicklow, mainly Wicklow, but also in Derry. That's a chunk of land. So it's a big, big part of Wicklow. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's a huge part of Wicklow. And uh, they were, you know, as as families go, they they were actually quite good. There was a lot of absentee landlords at the time Mm. in Ireland who didn't live at their properties. And Mm. the Wingfields were slightly different. They really wanted to incorporate themselves into Mm. Irish society. They Mm. were big with music, uh, with art, um, statues, obviously. And uh, gardening, plants. Oh, so right, they were. Okay. They were. So they big,
1: planted the estate effectively, did, and yeah. decided where the boundaries would go and the trees. And, and they always did that. Those those grand landed families with a sense of the future, because they weren't going to get to enjoy it in their own lifetime. Yeah. You I'm know, so glad and you they said were <laughs> growing growing trees that that would only mature really maybe yeah. hundred years yeah. hence. So yeah. so it's kind of a real legacy, foresight,
2: it? and it's something that I carry on. You know, yeah. with with gardening, it's, it's you know, like the old saying, um, you know, when a society is good, when old men plant trees under which the shade they'll never, they'll oh, never enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so it ended up then, for for all intents and purposes, in, in the family that we probably would associate best with it, which is a Lord power's court. That's right, himself. yes. And this grand house. Uh, was built. It's, it's, it's an extraordinary building actually. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the structure of it.
2: I will, yeah. So, you know, there was always a castle there. So mm. the Delapores built a, a medieval castle and we can still see the walls of that actually in the, the, the ruins of the, or in the house. Mm. Um, but they, that house stayed, the medieval castle stayed there till 1727 uh, when a lady called Dorothy Rowley marries into the Wingfield family and brings a huge dowry. Absolutely tons of money. And she was really cultured. Mm. She, was, she didn't really want to be sent to Wicklow. That was mm. the wilds of Wicklow. The middle of nowhere, no culture, no mm. society. And uh, she wanted to bring a bit of Europe, you know, a bit of a sort of high class into Wicklow. Grandeur. And uh, she had the money to do yeah, it. So yeah. she threw out the entire contents of the house and employed an architect called Richard Cassell to build this palladian style european mansion and
1: it is and it would be at home in any of the grand uh, counties of of britain but also there's a kind of um a French Absolutely. look about it as well, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, and and the you'll see that curvature of that Palladian style in Bath, you know, in in the Crescent. And there's yes. echoes of that that yeah. whole period of time, yeah. which oh, was done f- so Fantastic,
2: well. fantastic building. And she, they built the first two floors. Yeah, and then fifty years later, the the third floor the third was, put was
1: on, on. Yeah. now. Um, tell us. It has has its share of tragedy. Mm. Uh, the building, because there was a catastrophic fire in what, it was nineteen seventy four.
2: Nineteen. no, it wasn't the first time there was a there was attempts on the house to be burnt right okay. through history. And was uh, it in
1: your family's hands? It
2: was. Yes. By then. Yeah. Because you're,
1: you're part of the Slazinger family that bought the Paris Court Estate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that really ruined a lot of it.
2: It did. It. Uh, we bought the estate in nineteen sixty one. And uh, the sale of the house, we were sort of one of the lower bidders, mm. um, but the Wingfields had held the estate for 350 years and it wasn't just about selling it off for money. It was mm. the, the heritage of the site mm. and Lord Powesquart had become friends with my grandmother through common interest in cattle. Um, there was also a marriage between uh, our families, so my aunt married the 10th. Lord Powerscourt, okay. which didn't didn't work out. So my first cousin at the moment would be the the current Lord Powerscourt and Field.
1: Now you term yourself um, head gardener. Yes, but but and 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 you are, and that that's you're, you've enough to garden there. Is certainly in the size of it, but. Is there a different future for you? Is there, is there something else that is going to happen in due course in terms of your ownership of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's it's bizarre. So the sale of the estate, my grandfather was a physicist and an engineer and he wanted to do hydroelectric power. So the sale of the house, the picture was a picture of the waterfall mm. and he thought, great, I can, a waterfall, big body of water, I can do uh, hydroelectric power. Turned out that the whole estate was for was for sale, so his uh, ethos was sustainability. It was way ahead of his time. I mean, that's the huge word in gardening mm. now: sustainability mm. and biodiversity. Indeed. And uh, we've kind of come full circle. He bought the estate with that intent. Obviously, we then had to move to a kind of commercial, just because the cost of running an estate like that, you know, it has to become sustainable. <laughs> so my grandmother pioneered that idea, and that's in the in the sort of sixties. When Ireland really wasn't a tourist destination, it was a big risk, big risk to do it. But she pushed on and um, we've come really, we've come a long way. We've come full circle. So sustainability is now our our key word. We've just been certified as the first visitor attraction to be sustainable, uh, which is great. Uh, A lot of work. Um, so we're sort of changing our techniques of gardening. And like you mentioned before about the foresight, it's all about that. So everything I do in the garden is looking to the future. You know, you've got your immediate plans, yeah. but you've got your 10, your 50, your 150 year plans.
1: And do you live on the estate, Alex? Or I do. You yes. do? Yeah, How fabulous yeah. is that? Because I grew you, up on the estate. You grew up there. Yeah. So what was... I? I you know, it's hard to say to people who didn't know anything different what was it like growing up on yeah. such vast estate. But I presume there came a time in your life, maybe in school, when you realised not everybody lives like yes, this on yeah. this estate. What was your childhood like there?
2: Exciting. <laughs> so I know every single inch of of the estate. The house was a was a room. So we used to explore mm. all the the dungeons and all the different mm. rooms. Um, and I just realised from a young age, I just didn't want to be indoors. I just mm. had to be had to be outside. And at a, my mother's side would really be the gardening side, and I kind of got my passion for her. And just spent my my childhood outside down in Powys Court exploring. And. Um, that just spurred me on to mm. to kind of take take the reins. I was a terrible child, very naughty. So, <laughs> karma's kind of come around. I now have to look after the place, but okay. we used to ride our motorbikes around the estate and you know, I suppose looking back on it now it was an unusual, but I'm so blessed. I'd never say anything about it. It was an amazing childhood. And the re- all the rest of my family, we all live very close together.
1: And you have children now, of course, who I do, are, who are yes, also getting to yeah,
2: yeah, so I've got two girls, uh, 11 and 7, and now a, a, a 17-month-old boy. Oh, so, you know, gosh, I'm looking okay. at them and I'm thinking I want to, to pass on something, whether they go into gardening or not. Yeah. But there's so many different aspects of the estate. It's not just the, the gardening, you know.
1: And is, it, is that what you want to stay doing? Is that your passion?
2: It is, yes. Will you have
1: responsibilities down the line that you have to address that are different to that?
2: No, no. I mean, this is my this is my role. It's uh, okay. you know, it doesn't get old. You walk into, come into work and walk out in your office is uh, a <laughs> third in the world yeah. vista of an Italian garden, and uh, but it's difficult, you know, managing that and, and, and making sure that we're doing the right things. Mm. I think the importance of somewhere like Paus Court, I always say that as soon as you drive in the gates it's soulful romance. Mm-hmm. As soon as you drive in the, the up the avenue, a mile long avenue of uh, Faga sylvatica, beech trees, uh, the longest in the country, it should be somewhere where you can just switch off. So my passion and what I want to do for the future is try and get that across to people and add strings to the bow at Paus Court that mm. will Keep in line with the heritage and the romance you know we never borrowed a huge amount when everyone else was borrowing mm. loads of money we didn 't my grandfather 's mm-hmm. idea was if you don 't have it you don 't buy it
1: mm-hmm. now Alex, where can people find out more uh, about visiting Powerscourt? yeah,
2: so you can go to the, you can go to the website um, Powscourt, com uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook. I do a couple of little videos on that.
1: I've seen them. Um, you're, you're showing yeah. <laughs> people around and, and, and advising on yeah. plants. I mean,
2: it is one part of, the, of the, the job I like. Yeah. I like communicating. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we do sustainability tours sure. and, and everything. And, you know, yeah. it's an interesting one for my team. It's, it's changing our mindset mm. on how we garden. Mm.
1: Indeed. All right. Well, listen, thank you for coming in uh, to studio and telling us all about uh, the fabulous Paris Court. And if you haven't been, folks, it is a definite must-see if you are up anywhere, really, in Wicklow or wider Leinster area. Alex Lasinger, head gardener uh, and family member (laughs) of Paris Court. Thank you so much for joining
2: us. Thank you very much.
1: And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. If you'd like to get in touch today, it's 53106 by text and it's Show at newstalk.com uh, if you want to do so by email. And I'm over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. eyes are windows to the soul, but with our hands we tell our boldest stories. That's according to Paula Rowan, the Irish glove designer who has found success both here in Ireland but worldwide too. Her client list ranges from Lady Gaga and Madonna to Kendall Jenner and Naomi Campbell. And today she joins me on the line for the Home Show. Uh, Hello Paula, you're very welcome along to the programme.
3: Hi, Sinead. Thanks for having me on. Now,
1: tell me a little bit about how your love for design and arts began, because it wasn't with gloves.
3: I think from a very young age, I was always interested in design, art, architecture. I loved beautiful things. Even when I was in UCD as a student, and I was working as a waitress, as most people do, with what small amount of money I had, I was buying paintings. I was buying pieces of furniture. So I just, I was always interested in beautiful things in mm. shape which I very much now have incorporated into my glove design. I after UCD did an interior design course and again that was exploring furniture lighting shading colour so I think all of those things have come to play in my design like I was very much i I am very much influenced by Irish artists Contemporary Irish artists like Mark P. Cullen, Paul Hughes, um, Ethna Jordan. I was very much influenced by the Art Deco phase, where you've got um, very kind of geometric shapes, which are very much apparent in the class that I use. And if you look at Art Nouveau, again, the influence being quite floral and looser shapes. So everything has inspired me and kind of brought me to this point and I really think with people who are creative they they have an appreciation of beauty of aesthetics from a very mm. young age and so th- certainly for me I did for sure which has essentially led me to where I am today.
1: <laughs> now and your, your designs which are world famous they're very um, beautifully made very intricate craftsmanship so tell us what goes into making a pair of your leather gloves.
3: Well Within the collection, Sinead, I have 180 designs in 50 different colours. So within that collection, I have classical pieces, to avant avant-garde, for both men and women. So the very classical pieces would be obviously the plainer gloves, and that is literally about the leather and how they fit and the colour. But if, for example, you look at the more ornate pieces, there is a huge amount of work and detail. So each glove takes three months to produce. They are all handmade in Italy by master craftsmen, And it's quite magical, to be honest with you, when, when I walk into the factories in Naples where they're made because it's like stepping back in time because literally everything is done by hand. There's a room with about seven, um, seven or eight Singer sewing machines. And there are people who've been making gloves from the age of 15. Mm. So in one of the factories, I deal with five at this stage, one of the guys who works there is called Salvatore. Salvatore is now 78 and he's been making gloves since he was 15. Gosh. But all he does at this stage is stretches the leather. So he has these and it's, quite, it's, it's amazing to see because it's the, the sound of the scissors or the leather shears on the marble. He's like He's pressing into the leather, he's stretching it out. And you can just see his passion and his love mm-hmm. for what he does. Mm-hmm. Then they are cut again by hand, stitched and embellished all by hand by master craftsmen who've essentially trained for seven years before they're actually considered to be a qualified glove maker.
1: Wow, okay.
3: These factories, they make for Gucci, Prada, Burberry, Bottega Veneta. So these are ultra luxurious gloves. (laughs) And when I started the brand, this was for me really important. The ethics behind the brand, so where they're made, made in Italy. Handmade by adults and worn by grown-ups, which is one of my taglines. I wanted everything ethically sourced, ethically made. The leathers are tanned and dyed primarily with natural oils and waxes. The leathers have been ethically sourced in Ethiopia. And then, as I say, cut and stitched by hand. So this is by no means fast fashion. So there have been times when people have balked at the price of the gloves. However, when you take into consideration how they're made, where they're made, who's making These factories are fourth and fifth generation. There's there's an incredible story behind them, which is an integral part of the brand. Indeed. Now, just
1: give us an idea of the price point, Paula, just so people can hop onto your website, which is paularowan.com, and have a look at the work involved in this.
3: So they start at €85, and that's for an unlined glove, Mm. um, which is basically plain. But as I say, this is about the leather, and the colour of the gloves. Sure. And they go up to four and a half thousand for the more embellished pieces. So this would be oh, a shoulder length glove. Uh, there's a huge amount of work. They weigh a ton to start with.
0: Okay. There's
3: a huge okay. amount of work that goes into them. Some of them would have nearly like a wing on them. They could have feathers. I oh, have they do. But they
1: have bows and cat, uh, metal and all kinds of things. Now, listen, we're all dying to know about the celebs. What does Lady Gaga look for in a glove?
3: Um, well, now, there's a, there's a few things there. So I've worked with Lady Gaga on several projects at this stage. One, the first one was House of Gucci. Um, so they were more classical pieces. They were vintage gloves because they would have been from the... 70, 60, the 70s, 60s, yeah. 70s, yeah. 70s, yeah. So they were more vintage gloves. And then for her tour, which was last, this time last, they were looking for more avant-garde pieces because what the... the thing with Lady Gaga in my opinion is her style is so diverse so she can wear classical or she can wear ultra cool and Mm, way out there mm. and I I also think when you look at um when you look at the coverage from any of her performances her costume is nearly as important as the performance herself itself so people at this stage look and expect something exuberant and over the top from Lady Gaga so for me it was a huge huge compliment so for the for the chromatical world, uh, for the Chromatica ball world tour last year, she was looking for um, over the elbow fingerless gloves because she needed to be able to use her hands. She wanted edgy. Um, I also did gloves for the dancers as well. And then she wore them with my cuffs also. Wow. So
1: demanding, but also for you exciting because it gives you a brief maybe that the ordinary person in the street wouldn't come in looking for.
3: Um, well, well, what Lady Gaga chose last year was well, she actually chose from the website. She didn't get me... She, I wasn't commissioned to do a piece. So for me, that was a, a huge compliment and, <laughs> and a cool that she was happy to choose from my collection. Okay, my how interesting. Now, I'm, I am working with another celebrity at the moment um, on another very big project, which will be out by the end of this month. And in this particular situation, there's much more... I'm making something specific for them. Right. So we've kind of... Worked on an idea. So again, this is this is as big as Lady Gaga wearing them um, last year and the year before. So you're I've not been, allowed. You're I've not allowed to tell work. us who it is, are you? I'm not going to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to watch for music and and films that have that have starring uh, fantastic gloves. Paula, where can people find out more
3: about you? I have a shop in the Westbury Mall in Dublin, yeah. and I'm for sale online. And this year. Really on the back of all the celebrities wearing the gloves and I think because of the quality and the range of the designs, I'm going to be selling in Bergdorf in New York, which is really exciting. And on Moda Operandi, which is a luxury goods website. So they're two really exciting projects. So those those locations to start
1: with all right okay well listen people can, can have a hop on your website there paularone.com and uh, and check out the incredible designs for which you need an established personality for some of them for sure but uh, <laughs> fabulous they all are and Paula Roan thank you so much uh, for joining us on the Home Show uh, this morning thank you very much Sinead Very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. My name is Sinead Ryan. And before the break, we were chatting with Alex Lassinger about PowerScores Estate in uh, Wicklow and I imagine if you were to buy that now he was talking about his family having bought it uh, you'd need some hell of a mortgage and uh, maybe one that my next guest would like to sort out if he'd have the chance but no household could have failed to notice how much more their own mortgage is costing them these days with the European Central Bank still on an upward trajectory with interest rates We want to know, when will it all stop? So joining me now to hopefully answer that and more is Carl Dieter of onlineapplication.com. Carl, you're very welcome back. Thank you. To the studio. Uh, All right, let's start with the inevitable. Um, Christine Lagarde, is she done? Uh,
4: It's, I I don't know. I think that uh, interest rates are are, are a tricky tool. And so, like whatever about what Christine Lagarde does, you can actually look back to the past to Jean-Claude Trichet Because last time we went through a big uh, host of interest rate rises, there was concerns around inflation, house prices were rising. He raised interest rates in 2007 when we were actually on the cusp of going back into recession. And they didn't know because sometimes the leading indicators, the things that tell you where you're going, they're not always that apparent. So a lot of economics although no one wants to admit it, it's like driving down the street, navigating using the rear view mirror only. You can only see the things that, that are behind you. You know, you don't know what, what, what's in front of you. So I, I think that because they have a remit to, to control things with interest rates, That's what they do. There's an expression that when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so that's, you know, that's what she has to do.
1: And I mean, look, you you think of the European Central Bank and this massive organisation and all these powers, but in fact, monetary policy consists of one tool effectively, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Raising, and lowering interest rates, which we have no control and, over.
4: And money supply. And so money. There, 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 there is the classic economic yeah. school of monetarism that says that prices are as a result of the amount of money in the system. And to be honest with you, that school was dismissed for a long time. But it's suddenly back in vogue because all of this inflation, it had to have come from somewhere. And it's not because, you know, th- that we've had massive depopulation or all, yeah. th- you know, yeah. half of society dies, So there's no one to do the jobs.
1: Okay. So look, there's one more... Um, the next meeting is in September of the European Central Bank. she hasn't ruled out another increase but what does it mean now for ordinary mortgage holders in Ireland because uh, we saw during the week a uh, report out that said mortgage interest rates now are averaging at four percent. now for some people without kind of you know locked in lower fixed rates, it could be five or six or seven percent.
4: Some are at nearly 10. You know, the, 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 there's a lot of variety out there, and there's some people who two years ago got fixed rates, you know, below 2%, and they're, and they're living at large. And it's the same problem that we had, actually. At one stage, um, when interest rates went to zero, that you had people on trackers paying a 1% mortgage rate, and others were paying 45 There was a time during the the financial crisis where variable rates were just getting moved up because lenders were trying to bring in money and there was people paying five, six percent while those on trackers were paying a third of that. So
1: So there's swings and roundabouts and the trackers now, I kind of, you know, I mean, you do feel sorry for anybody who's facing mortgage hike, but they had kind of it handy for so many years. Well, there's a
4: yeah, so there's there's a couple of things. I mean, your mortgage rate is kind of like your health. It's very particular to you. You make your decisions, you have to live with it, and sometimes you get bad luck, even though you do everything right. Sometimes you make bad choices and and things don't work out. The one thing I would say about trackers, although the rates are very high, the last time trackers were offered in this country, I mean they're 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 gone. Like they're a thing from two thousand and seven. So you're at least sixteen years into your mortgage at this stage. And on that basis alone, you should be in a position of having had your 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 property, even though it might have crashed. Appraised quite well. In the meantime, mm. you should have been able to to manage your payments and pay down debt over that time. Or while interest rates were so low that hopefully you didn't carry extra debt. Uh, you know, it, there's so many okay, things working in favor point. of people in yeah, trackers. Yeah, because it
1: means the tracker people aren't the ones on, still on ninety percent loan to value ratios. Or anything absolutely. Like you know, that um, Okay. Okay. Would you? Well, then, what would you say? Because this kind of Previously unmentionable idea of people coming off trackers and and moving and g- getting rid of them and moving away onto fixed rate. Is, is there a real argument to do that now?
4: Yeah, well, well, there was. There probably was really more last year. At this stage, you, you probably missed the best of it because it, there is there is a thing in in interest rates, and it's more of a, a heuristic or a rule of thumb. It's not like a rule of gravity, but the the top level that interest rates get to the next time you raise interest rates after they drop tends not to be higher than the last time. So if interest rates got, say, to 5% in the past and then you have a crash, the next time they're going up, they tend not to reach 5%. So I think we're probably, even though you might see rates creep a little bit higher, I don't really see them getting into crazy territory. Leveling. And, and if okay. anything, you know, Europe and, and European economies, and we're loath to admit this, they're, they're pretty weak economies. They tend not to be very vibrant. And and that's because we, we spend so much on social spending. In the world, yeah. one third of all welfare spent in the world happens in just Europe and that's good it has a lot of benefits but what I'm saying is that you don't get this aggressive growth story that you, you get in and, other com- and countries okay. and so I think they're so, going to level or go down
1: Okay so there's an argument for at least looking at that although you might have missed you know the good boat on it um, but for people then like we're coming up Oh, not quite yet the budget but the pre-budget submissions are all in from every sector of society saying <laughs> give us more money Michael McGrath Uh what would you um, like to see happening for homeowners who are in this cost of living crisis? Is there anything that can be done on mortgages? I mean, there was some chat about the the kind of recurrence of mortgage interest relief, which we'd got rid of.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I look, like it's not really for me to to, to call what they do with the budget. Uh, what I would say is I, I would be very refreshed by any politician who said, you know, we actually need to to really think about how to be as responsible as possible because the country financially is in decent shape. And, and that doesn't always last. You know, being financially in good shape tends to be like summer. It ends and then there's a winter at some point. So when we hear everyone saying we need this money for this or that, really what they're saying is they want your money or someone else's because they, they obviously don't have it themselves. And the only way government can get it is by taking it from someone else. And and I'd like to say, well, if you believe what you want belongs to you and it comes from me, mm. then tell me the justification of why you own what I've earned and what are you going to use it for? And those simple basic questions usually aren't asked. So what you have is this, you know, massive haberdashery of ideas and, you know, kite flying, and hopefully they influence the politicians, they get people to write in, et cetera. And we come out on the other side with these different policies. I'd be very clear. I I, I wouldn't I don't think homeowners necessarily need help. But but that you'd be like what? Just let me justify this. One every second house has no mortgage, so we don't need to help them. Loads of houses have mortgages and they're doing just fine. Mm. We don't need to help them. Some houses are in deep compression. We probably should look to help them the same as we help anyone who who has housing housing deep housing issues. The one thing I would say is that I think usually the, the vulnerable in society tend to be those who, who, who can't provide for themselves and the cohort that I care most about in that instance is children. So I think if we were looking at anything I would like to see targeted measures towards ensuring that, that there's anti-poverty towards children okay. in particular. Okay, and that and means else then people on. can
1: rejig <laughs> their household spending accordingly if it's if it's targeted. Okay, that's an interesting, an interesting perspective on it. Um, what about the measures that the government puts in place, Carl Dieter, um, to help first-time buyers buy these uh, supposedly increasing volume of homes. So I'm talking about the help to buy and this shared equity, this first home scheme. I know I've written in the past about this and I've been accused of, of kind of, uh, you know, not pulling on the green jersey. I just see it as price chasing. And, and yeah. to me, that's not good enough. But do you have a different uh, perspective on that?
4: Yeah, yeah I, I I think that you can make bad choices with the right reasons for doing it. Mm. Um, and that's not always what people want to hear but you know look again getting that back to that idea that if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail the government don't build houses uh i don't think that they should be building houses they don't have a strong record in that area the only tool they have really are financial tools and so the the whole area of how do we get costs down how do we get labor costs down how do we import materials for less how do we stop a slow planning process that costs hundreds of thousands to build things once you're building you know large number of homes, how do we, how do we get land prices controlled, which goes back to like the seventies and the Kenny Mm. report and the way that we tax things and, and the way that we tax property and wealth and all these other questions, those are so big and so complex that you could approach that and start, you know, chipping away at a mountain or you can just say, hurrah, I'll give you money. And and that tends to work, and, and and it does work, and those are effective schemes for people who otherwise might not be
1: able to buy homes. And politically, it also works because you now have a situation where the parents who are voters who are voting for this current tranche of government parties, their kids aren't able to buy houses now, and therefore that be shoveling money at them from from other taxpayers or or their own tax uh, seems like a good idea. But where do where does that stop though, Carl? Because you just end up with a. Sp- spiral, which the last daft report has shown. Any housing reports are showing prices going up and up and up and up and up.
4: Yeah. So like like housing isn't one of those things that you can avoid. So unfortunately, it's like saying, you know, if you're in the middle of the desert, you keep subsidizing water. Well, if you stop, then what happens? Mm-hmm. So like this is the concern is is our recovery was what is described as a catastrophic recovery. So in other words, it is a recovery, but it's almost the worst type you could have because it resulted in huge reductions in housing output, it it resulted in huge amounts of homelessness, rapidly rising prices, rapidly rising rates. Now, some people were sitting pretty. People Mm. who, you know, just have property that went up in value and they sold or they now have a property that's like worth a million, which is actually a second one or
1: a third one. They're doing
4: fine. There's a lot who aren't. So you know you've got to say to yourself with the tools that we have that we can we can roll out in a reasonable amount of time because actually building the homes which is the real fix takes like 5 years 10 years it takes a long time for that to, to work through the system that's slow so what can we do today what's the adrenaline shot what's the like the crack pipe of policy that can get you know straight in there fast and those are financial schemes and it
1: is shoveling money at people isn't
4: it <laughs> yeah but again like y- y- versus what so like what's the trade off what if we don't do this well then we might stall the housing output and that would be bad for everybody. If we don't do this, you might have people who become disaffected and leave and then they're not paying taxes and, you know, there's there's a whole host of trade-offs. So I think what it is, it's almost like a weigh scale. You put all the, the stuff on one side that's bad, you put all the stuff on one side that's good and it has been decided that these policies are, are valid, good, and they're not permanent, okay? The one nice thing about spending policies as opposed to, say, taxation policies, is they can come and go, the same way mortgage interest left one mm. day, the same way that rent assistant was ed- assistance was ended mm. one day. Now, some of them get brought back. Some of them, they say, look, we we looked at that and it was actually it was good. We should reinvent mm. that one. So, you know... We're just in a tricky time and this is how they're getting through it.
1: Carl Dieter of onlineapplication.com It is fabulous to have you back in studio again. Hope the music yeah. is going well.
4: Still, yeah. yeah. Still playing shows every week yeah. and uh, yeah. yeah, not getting booed off the stage. So that's the, oh, the main brilliant. thing. <laughs>
1: all right. Okay. Uh, and you can find Carl on all of the social media outlets. Uh, he's quite prolific <laughs> on that and uh, it's nice to see you again. I'd like to welcome back to the home show, Natasha Rocker-Divine. Natasha, we are going to chat to you today about balconies uh, and how to make use of the space, because it seems to me that a lot of people do very little with them uh, and just leave them bare or hang out the washing or put out a few herbs, which is an awful shame because it's such a waste of space and so much more can be done. You're very welcome along. Thank you for having me. Now, um, designing a small space uh, like... I've with all the apartment blocks up now all over the place. Um I'm always curious I'm looking around at what people have and it can be quite depressing. A lot of people they don't do anything with their balcony. They throw out maybe a table uh, and a couple of chairs or a few potted plants or you know something like that. And it it just seems to me like such a great waste of space when
0: so much more can be done. Absolutely, and we're in a time now where um housing prices and rentals are so high. So, you know, that square feet on that balcony is incredible. For some people they don't have that opportunity. Um and I've lived in London and I've had a wall bed and no garden. So, you know, when, when you've yeah. actually, you know, been in places like that, you really appreciate a balcony. So my point is I think it's just about bringing it to life for you. That's really the most mm. important point. There's no point in putting lots of plants in if you you're not gonna maintain them or having in loads of seeding if you're living alone. So I think it's really about making it you, but as as you said, putting character on it and yeah, making that space yeah. come to life and enjoying it, really. And I, I wonder, do people kind of think it's such a small area and it's
1: Ireland with all the weather and there's no point in doing anything permanent but but you would argue otherwise i mean you have some great ideas now about things uh, when it comes to seating for instance yeah
0: absolutely i was going to so start with that so seating that. is huge i mean irish people whether you're single married lots of kids every irish people are social you know or people living in ireland i think it's the weather we you know we like to connect because it's not that sunny outside always um so i think the seating is key ideally you get you know benches are brilliant if you can get a built-in bench because you can maximize the square feet if you you know reach the corners of a space, or if you're really stuck, you can get smaller table and chairs, you know, from so many JISC, IKEA, um, salvage, vintage shops. But another tip, if you're really stuck for space, is foldable, foldable furniture, you know, that way, so you don't have to have it out all year round. Yeah. Um, but I think seating is absolutely key. And to because that
1: space. a balcony is usually a kind of a long, a rectangular yeah, space, yeah, yeah. would you suggest
0: furniture then that, that mirrors that? Exactly, exactly. So the the built in bench, or just you know, bespoke benches, and there's so many things I'm really into um, kind of salvaging and like there's things like Free Cycle, which is free furniture and you can donate and obviously collect yourself so there's really no reason nowadays not to have something fun on your balcony and to really enjoy that space. Yeah
1: and even if you have the, that kind of built-in bench because I know you've recommended it before for kind of small kitchens Absolutely, you know you yeah. just have a kind of a corner
0: area. Well you're reaching the you're reaching corner that you know is wasted otherwise because if you put in a round table and you know a couple of chairs you've missed the space behind that yeah. unless you put in you know planters and things behind that. And yeah. that's what I said. It's very much about your lifestyle. You know, there's no point in planting the space either if you're not going to, you know, maintain it. But
1: a lot of those benches come with built-in storage. Underneath, because absolutely. They're underneath. So if you're even having loose cushions or them whatever, under. you can stick them under and it's a good way. Right? Now, you can get these bespoke cushions made exactly oh, they're gorgeous, for them. absolutely. I you know. can get
0: bespoke cushions and also you can get like I mean in an ideal world we'd have a hammock you know I mean like it's my dream I'm a toddler so I dream to lie on a hammock and just swing yeah. and read a book at night yeah. and have a glass of wine or a drink yeah. um, but and I, I think, think that is doable because oh, I, um, absolutely. Jenny see.
1: Sheehan who who's often with us here Jennifer Sheehan she has one that fo- it's just a, a
0: kind of a cloth yeah. hammock and it just oh, folds it up, up absolutely up to and, to and especially walk. if like if you're living alone or if you're like just kind of a couple you know you don't have loads of kids pulling at it but even with that for Safe chair probably wouldn't do it with kids but I do think you know those egg chairs you know the floating egg chairs yeah. you can get them yeah. as I said in JISC and so many different other shops but I, garden stores they um, take up a good bit of space, space exactly though, so they? the foldable ones are like the in between yeah. and the, my point is there's like there's all different ranges you know there's the foldable if you're stuck then there's the kind of middle range where if you can yeah. afford to have like the space wise um, kind of a more rounded table which is nice it's more connected but if not you have those built in
1: yeah and actually just those wire or metal chairs with a nice cushion on It's perfect.
0: I've got a bit of colour and that's where, you know, you can bring your character. All right.
1: Brilliant. So that's seating and you have some great ideas. Uh, um, Will you put them up on Instagram after the show? Absolutely. Just so people can see them. Okay. And just remind us of your Instagram. No, Natasha. Yeah, of course. Okay. Now, lighting. Um, Every time we've an interior designer in, they say lighting, lighting, lighting. It's so important. But it's natural light too, you know, as well. Yeah. but on a balcony what, like, you've lim- what can you do there to change the atmosphere?
0: I think you see in a lot of movies whether it's a balcony or like a small garden like fairy lights are gorgeous obviously you get ones that are suitable for outdoors and you might have to get yeah. an extension lead or you know to work out the logistics but you know fairy lights are they're just so simple just sprinkle them around yeah, and yeah. lanterns as well like I love you know like the Asian lanterns you know you see on the beaches in Thailand where they light them up yeah. and let them go I love that idea and it brings a bit of um, character as well if you mm. mix up the lights and then Things like simple things like pillar lights, you know, for you can put them on the ground and you can get um, fake lights if you don't want to maintain yeah. for safety, if you don't want to light a candle on a balcony. And they me. just have a, they have a very realistic flame, a Flame, actually. Absolutely. They're and,
1: really stylish. Um, I think I, I, I've seen them lots and lots of places. I know Dunn's have them, Ikea have them. Oh, everywhere. that kind of thing. Yeah, and you can set them in. And isn't it the thing with those pillar candles, if you set them up in in Odd groups. It's like planting flowers, trees, and fives. Exactly. I love trees. I think it? it's lovely yeah. to have
0: a tree, and you can have them in either corner. And they're quite strong and light. I mean, you can bring out. You know, it all depends on the size. You could do like LED strips. You could mix it up. I also love neon lights. It just depends on how much shelter you know from a rain point of view because mm. we do live in Ireland. You'll have, you'll have your balcony a beacon <laughs> to everybody <laughs> passing. Exactly. I say you might to if you want neon. privacy. Yeah, you don't <laughs> maybe don't have the bar sign. 40 here <laughs> in neon. Well, pink. if you're single, I mean, it's a way forward. It's <laughs> better than social media, I'm sure. Oh, and that beats the smoking area <laughs> <Exactly>. every time. <laughs>
1: right, okay. Now, you did mention plants earlier because. I know you're kind of saying if you're not ferns, into yeah. plants don't get them you'll just
0: Yeah them I think it's being realistic there's yeah. no point in doing it because your neighbour or ever it's the way forward you have to keep be realistic with your lifestyle. Yeah, but like most people can manage um, a yucca or a monstera oh, or absolutely. a fern or you know for herbs. Herbs exactly okay. and also I love I love the smell of lavender you know some people mm. might not like that but whatever your f- favourite smell is it's so nice to come out of a busy day or busy life so and sit in your on your balcony for a couple of minutes, get some fresh air and smell something that relaxes you yeah. or excites you or whatever your smell that you like, people like cinnamon. You know, everyone has their own yeah. sense. And you do have to look after it because if you're in a balcony which is covered, yeah. you're it's not going to necessarily get enough water. Oh, absolutely! Rain, you so do you have, have to interview. look at yeah, yeah. okay. And then there's faux fo- plants you know it's the way forward like you know and that's like you can get them in old garden shops. Green Sticky. all year round. Green all year <laughs> round exactly and I mean I'm obviously I much prefer natural in every situation but you know there are plants and there's like brands like Doro and like loads of kind of silk flowers mm. and things if you're really into kind of colour and you genuinely are travelling or you've kids and you can't maintain it it is an option or even to mix and match. Okay and again trees. Yeah or you could do a planter wall I'm really into that you okay. know and you could put that behind your kind of your bench you know obviously you have to maintain room but it's quite a, quite a nice feature wall Sinead instead of art because you can't really put art on a balcony that much you know because it might mm-hmm. get wet but actually you know you can get planters as I said all IKEA um hardware stores So are
1: these like um, these are ones that you nail into the wall yeah. they're like little buckets or little Yeah or you can ceramic. get a whole wall exactly oh, okay. you can do either
0: or you could do a whole wall and then you could let like ivy grow up it and something. so it's actually like a piece of art in a way with with I mean I'm not a gardener now I'm going to be like tripped up here by people who <laughs> love planting but you know there's the there's, vertical garden yeah, vertical garden. It. yeah okay. it's gorgeous I love Good. that
1: and actually while we're on that topic then you know it also provides a kind of a barrier between maybe neighbours if you have yeah. it on the side so give us some some ideas for that space
0: yeah I think well obviously naturally plants would be brilliant yeah. you know and as you said you can grow ones that are really tall or put in kind of you know trees or shrubs especially over when there's neighbours next door it's mm. fine if they're mm. kind of further away but I do think screens are a great way for it you can also get them in all the hardware stores you know, wooden screens are really stylish. You can also paint them. You can mix it up with color, or, or you can get metal screens.
1: And I suppose if you get a concertina one, you just fold it up and you Absolutely, can put it back in that's the what I'm so saying. it's not going to get you. yeah, exactly. Okay. It's like
0: simple, keep it simple. But obviously, it depends on like how friendly you are with your neighbors. You know that way. So, you know, I I genuinely like space. You know, especially in the evening, if you're trying to chill out. Mm. So the foldable gives an option. You know, yeah. as well. It's just it's more flexible. Exactly.
1: Okay. And you can you can pop it in or out. Um, now, of course, um, if you're having friends over, you'll want to give them a little tipple you're a fan of having a bar on the balcony um, absolutely
0: <laughs> I'm so bad like everyone's like I don't know kind of I'll be loved or hated for this but I love bar carts. I'm so, I think I'm like I love kind of Art Deco they're we've talked really about this really coming back they're really aren't coming they? back they're so stylish and you could what the one thing I love about it is you can put it anywhere and it's actually a table it's useful so say if you have it in your hallway or you know you can move it in and out of the balcony or you can leave it on the balcony but you can use it for drinks snacks you can put plants on it if you it's 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 all about space really. So it's multi-purpose is what I like. And also you can put your bar on it. It's like a little bar area in itself. It's really stylish and it's Functional, which is the most important yeah. thing. It's and not actually, just you're really only talking there about a trolley on wheels. At, oh yes, yeah. you know and you can get them everywhere. You can get them in, like in Duns. You can get them in Brent Thomas. You, you can get them all over, really high end or really, you know, depends where you know what you yeah. want to spend. Or in Dublin Auction, South Dublin Auction, for example, you can get them in lots of different places. So yeah. you're not limited in terms of the costing. Um, and also another option is. Bar trays, you know, like the way you used to see in movies where people eat on their lap, but you can get them that sit on your balcony and you can pop it off, and you can make your kind of own bar. You have to be careful you don't (laughs) knock over the wine (laughs) over the edge or lose your glasses or whatever. But, you know, there's different, my point is there's solutions to all of these. And I do think anything, it has to have function for me as well as style. So all of these have, you know, have a bit of both. Exactly. And actually the best inspiration
1: for that, I think, is from any of the 1940s, black and white movies. Um, they're my favourite. <laughs> and uh, ladies tottering around in high heels at the end of the day mixing drinks for hubby when he comes absolutely. in the door. Don't do that bit, folks. <laughs> uh, I get him to make with <laughs> Make of it for you. your friend and yourself. Uh, OK, <laughs> Natasha, they are absolutely some fantastic ideas and I must say, folks, do have a look at the pictures on um, Natasha Rocketvine on Instagram because she has gone to a huge amount of trouble to uh, pull together ideas which I wouldn't have thought would have fit into the space. But they yes, do so, yeah,
0: perfectly. People are okay. amazing. With their
1: ideas. Um, so finally, then um, you like the idea of a rug. Even like, though it's outdoors. Yeah, I do.
0: And I mean you can get you can I'm not into necessarily encouraging plastic, but at the same time, you know, it is wet weather. But I love something on your feet. I think it's nice to take off your shoes. Like, I mean it's scientifically proven if you have your feet grounded, you just relax. Mm. So if you can have a rug, you know, it depends how much cover you have, Sinead. But a rug or some kind of like no, but even
1: that kind of hessian or or, or linen or cotton, it's something that will clean easily and exactly. you can
0: roll it up and put it on. Exactly. But it's nice on your feet to take I off your so. shoes and just especially in summer just walk around your bare feet it's yeah. a bit, a bit a, you can have your heels as well but you know it gives that you option. that kind
1: of it, kind of um, Middle Eastern vibe
0: yeah I love Doesn't that it? yeah the Moroccan kind okay. of style and you can also get um, kind of Ottomans and sit on the floor if you're really into that you don't necessarily need a table you oh, could do the yeah, kind of seating of on the floor with the mat Like yeah. I mean there's so many options here but you know for Irish weather and Irish yeah. culture and practicalities you know these are the best I think fantastic <laughs> alright something you can get out of quickly if it starts <laughs> yeah lashing rain and a cover definitely cover for all your
1: core, furniture all right. and some kind of cover for the balcony you're fantastic listen Natasha that is absolutely stunning and um, hopefully people get fantastic ideas of that and look who knows we'll get maybe fabulous um, uh, what do they call it the kind of a late blast of summer uh, if we're a little bit lucky and we can we yeah. can putting use it. putting it out there to the universe yeah, definitely thank yeah. you so yeah. much Natasha Rocker thank you so much indeed and that is all we have time for on the show this week uh, it's been uh, a ball I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope you have too if you'd like to get involved in the show. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover or a guest you'd like us to have on well then do get in touch with us 53106 on text or email us throughout the week at at newstalk.com or pop me a message over on Instagram Sinead Ryan 100 and I'll pick it up there. Don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast which is up on the News Talk website powered by Go Loud Uh, and remember all of our shows there and all of our guests there. I know some people were asking me last week about uh, listening to the interview with Jay Blades from the repair shop and the BBC. Fabulous interview. It's up there now, so go and have a look at it. Thanks to Eva Breen and John Byrne producing this week, and Stephen McClune, who is on sound.
3: The Home Show with Sinead Ryan, with Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.